0: Um, But hey, so we've been in a series for a few weeks and we're wrapping it up today, a series called A Thousand Generations, where we've been talking about how throughout history and throughout scripture, God has been faithful to work in the generations of the church. It's clear that God is faithful to his people, he's consistent in his character, but he's particular in his presence. God is consistent in that he is faithful to the thousandth generation. He keeps his promises to the thousandth generation. But he manifests his presence kind of particularly in each generation. God shows up in new and fresh ways. God has a habit of doing a new and fresh work in each generation in the church. We don't have a one-size-fits-all faith. We have a God who works in seasons of life. Faithfulness looks different in different seasons of life. And so we've celebrated and dreamed about the ways that God shows up in the different seasons of our lives. So here's my question a question that, as a youth pastor, has dominated my thinking for well over the past 10 years. What is youth for? What is youth actually for? At the beginning of the summer, uh, Pastor Dane asked this question about summer. What is summer for? What do you want the story of your summer to be? Same thing. What is youth for? When a person reaches kind of their mid-20s and shifts from adolescence into adulthood, what ought to be the story of their youth? As we look back at the stories of our youth, what should those stories be? What is youth for? You see, in, in the church and in culture in general, we love talking about Generation Z, the middle schoolers, high schoolers, and young adults in our community. We love talking about them and, like, worrying about them, saying, like, oh, I hope they're okay over there, <laughs> right? The digital generation had a hard COVID, oh, TikTok scary. We, 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 love, we love talking about Gen Z, but have you ever asked what they're for? Like, what is Gen Z for? What do, what do you guys do in the kingdom? What unique role does youth play in heavenifying earth, working heaven into every square corner of our existence? What unique role do the young play that no one else can fulfill? What unique role has God set aside? What is youth for? What is Gen Z for? February 2023, this past February, February 8th to be particular, something happened and unfolded in the news that drastically affected me. I lost sleep over it. Um, I talked about it all the time, got really weird when no one else seemed to really get my angst with it. Um, But there's a little town in Kentucky called Wilmore. Tiny little town, only about 6,000 people. And in the small town of Wilmore, there is a small little college called Asbury University. A little Christian college. They only have like 1,600 students. Um, And every week in the small town, this small college, they hold a small little chapel. Um, Students are required to attend a certain number of chapel units throughout the year. And so each Wednesday at Asbury, their old traditional Baptist chapel fills with a good handful of students. And I say this with all the love in my heart. It's not cool. Like, it's, it's not remarkable. There's no lights. There's no hype. There's no cool graphic design. No one has cuffed jeans on. Like, it's, it's, not, it, it, it's not that cool. It's like, think of like a below average, slightly more boring Baptist church service. Um, Baptist, I'm, I'm sorry, but you've got to own that. Um, it's like, the stage, the stage has like that carpet in it that is in every Baptist church for some reason. Like, it, 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 the room says all the love in my heart. Could probably use an update. But the students gathered there. Small number of students, small chapel, small college, small town. And on Wednesday, February 8th, the chapel started just like any other. Um, There were some announcements. A pastor got up, gave just a 20-minute message. There were a couple of worship songs. And the message, you can watch it online. I've watched it. The message given by a local pastor was so, so unremarkable (laughs) that the pastor got off stage afterwards, texted his wife, and said, babe, I think I totally whiffed it. Like, which I've, I've never done, of course. Um, but it's, it's, an, it's, it's a faithful sermon. It's a gospel-centered sermon. It's a good sermon. It's not, you're not going to put it on a podcast, right? Not, not that memorable. And so chapel happens. It's time for chapel to end. But it doesn't. Some students leave, but 18 stay behind. 18 Gen Zers. 18 young men and women. They're on their knees contending for healing and restoration for Turkey and Syria after they were ravaged by earthquakes. These 18 on their knees contending their guts out in zealous prayer for the lives and safety of Turkey and Syria, contending and contending and contending. Minutes turn to hours. Day turns to night. They are still contending. Midnight comes. They do not leave. Their prayer turns to worship and their worship becomes so fervent in the middle of the night that students wake up, come out of their dorms, and begin to return to the chapel. By morning, there are hundreds of students in the chapel simply worshiping their guts out. Every hand raised, confession and repentance happening. The front altar of the chapel is shoulder to shoulder With teenagers and early college students confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, walking in the light with stuff they've kept in the dark for a decade. Addictions, hiddenness, all coming out. Sheer repentance. Students are praying over other students. Students are confessing struggles with anxiety and depression and crippling mental health battles. Other students are declaring gospel truths over them like it's an antidote. Students come, and this this was all over TikTok when it was happening, all over Instagram. Students from the surrounding area who do not know Jesus start to show up. They walk into the chapel. They experience the tangible presence of God to such a degree that tears run down their face. They drop to their knees, hands raised, repent and give their lives to Jesus on the spot. Amen. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. Goes on and on and on. After one week of this, here's what the chapel looks like. After one week. 16 days is the full length. 16 days. Repentance, confession, worship, contending for the nations, contending against mental health battles, driving sin out. Repentance, worship, zeal, fervor. The stuff we see in scripture. All of it. 50,000 people. Start coming 50,000 from 12 nations (laughs) people travel internationally because they hear about this by Gen Z through Gen Z for Gen Z renewal after 16 days it ends but there's one truth that kind of echoed in my mind and in our community Philip Yancey said it really well God comes where he's wanted God comes where he's wanted. God brings his presence to places where his faithful saints are welcoming his presence. Not just by saying we want that to happen, but by saying we will lay ourselves down as an altar to the Lord. We will set aside our schedules, our time, and our zeal and make that a cathedral to God. God comes where he's wanted, and he comes a lot of places where he's wanted in Gen Z. Here's a picture that one of our recently graduated students sent me from Point Loma University. This is a couple hundred students in a parking garage late at night who simply spontaneously gathered to worship together. You'll see the caption on the TikTok is just, this generation is hungry for the real thing. If that doesn't sum up the young, I don't know what does. There's an authenticity there, an honesty there. Um, One of our recent graduates who's at Auburn, her name's Kate, we love her and miss her, she sent me these pictures from Auburn University. The one on the top left is from nine years ago of a small, well, not small, a gathering of Gen Z, I guess it might have been millennials at the time, seeking God in worship. The bottom right, four days ago. That is 2,000 young people. A small campus worship ministry grew to such a size they had to buy a building, and they are doing seven straight nights of this right now each night getting larger, fervor, worship, zeal, the whole thing, what we see in scripture. It's not just at universities and colleges, it's in our high school and middle school communities here at this church. This summer, um, as we always do, we did a summer camp, we call it Camp Anchored for high school. Um, and we walked into high school with kind of a funny idea, like, what if we just didn't plan anything? Like, we'll plan like fun stuff to do, but as far as like chapels come, I'm like, what if we don't write any talks? <laughs> Like, what if we just walk in, say, God comes where he's wanted. Let's test that. What if we just make him thoroughly wanted in worship and prayer? This is Camp Anchored this summer. That's 60 high schoolers in a tiny little room in a cabin. The worship's so loud, so much zeal, so much passion. You can hear it blocks down the road with the doors closed. Blocks down the road. There was a moment in worship where worship was loud. It went on for hours. We finally stopped. There was dead quiet, and I heard in the dead quiet, I think the closest thing to a prophetic word I've heard a student say in over 10 years of youth ministry, simply, thank you, Jesus. Just still and quiet, just thank you, Jesus. Everyone else started echoing, thank you, Jesus. Without any prompting, students started declaring gospel truths over one another. They started saying, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You are God's beloved child. Jesus calls you brother and friend. If you have never seen, like, a 16-year-old lock eyes with someone and receive the words, Jesus calls you brother and friend, oh, you're missing out. That's the whole gospel, right? Man, my goodness, zeal, worship. It went on and on and on you know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Let me ask you, is that conceptual to you? Or is it experienced? Is that conceptual to you? Because it's not conceptual in student ministry. That is our lifeblood. That's a promise to us. For students making God thoroughly wanted in their midst, there is no doubt that Jesus is among them. No doubt. The zeal of this young generation. Oh my goodness. John Tyson said this. If you want to stop a revival from happening, you will first have to silence the zeal of the young. Like if you want to stop revival in the church, if you want to stop the work of the spirit, the first thing you would have to do is make sure the young aren't zealous because they're going to drive the thing. (laughs) You want to stop renewal? You better silence the young. We don't want to stop renewal. Let's maximize the zeal of the young middle school camp, um, Fiona and I have made it a practice that we spend almost all of our time with eighth graders because they're about to be high schoolers and we're like still in that phase where we're like cool to middle schoolers. Like they haven't realized, that I'm just like a bigger, lamer version of them. Um, we, they would lose hope if we told them, like this is, it doesn't get better. Like you, you're awkward now, this is what's waiting for you. Um, this is how awkward you're about to become. Um, But we we spent all of our time with 8th graders at middle school camp, and one night we had an idea. We're like, hey, let's let's go worship with the 8th graders, right? Let's just see what happens if we made God wanted with middle schoolers. They're like 13. We did that. This is the worship circle that formed. These are 8th graders at camp. We worshiped for an hour, and we stopped because we assumed they would want a break because they're middle schoolers. You know what they said? That felt like 15 minutes. Can we do it again next night? And we did. The next night we had another, Them they drove this. We had another night of just fervorous, is that a word? I'm making it a word. Fervorous, zealous worship with these middle schoolers. What happened is most of the rest of middle school camp noticed and came over. We saw sixth graders, hands raised, boldly worshiping God. A few weeks later, we held an event in my backyard where we welcomed freshmen into the anchored community, had seniors run the night and bless them. We had a worship night with them. Here's a picture of it in my backyard. So we had seniors declare truth over these new freshmen, saying, God has a plan for you. He's with you. He's for you. God comes where he's wanted. Make him wanted. You know what happened next? The freshmen, 14-year-olds, started proclaiming it back. If you've never seen a group of 14-year-olds casually quote scripture over seniors, the, the difference between a senior and a freshman, by the way, is like an A-list celebrity and me. Like it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's unbelievably big difference. Like seniors to freshmen, it's it's incalculable how different that is. Freshmen locking eyes with the senior and saying, "You are the beloved child of God." Whew. That's kingdom work right there, kingdom. I wonder, do you grow cynical as you hear this? Are you skeptical? It's okay, I'm, I'm a natural skeptic. I'm wired as a skeptic. I've just simply seen too much to still be a skeptic. Before, um, if you find that you're skeptical or if you're like, ah, it seems like emotionalism or whatever, uh, a couple things. Number one, um, this is crazy similar to an Act 2 community. <laughs> In Acts 2, we get a story of the early church. They broke bread together. They gathered and worshipped together. They prayed together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They had all things in common. And daily, many were added to their number. That is literally youth ministry. That is this student community we have been blessed with at this church. It is is the closest thing to an Acts 2 community you will ever find. So before you get skeptical, just think about that. Second thing. I would say, is if you find that you're skeptical of the zeal of the young, saying, yeah, but faith isn't all about emotion. Of course, it's not all about emotion. But what tends to happen as we get older is the zeal we felt in our youth starts to fade. Life has this funny way of beating zeal out of us, replacing it with cynicism. And so when we see young people zealous for the Lord, worshiping their guts out, there's a temptation to say like, they'll get over it. (laughs) They'll get over it. You'll... You'll become just like us, cynical, skeptical, arms crossed in worship. Man, isn't that good news? It's far easier to criticize the zeal of the young than confront your lack of it. Maybe there's some repentance needed. You know, there's a a biblical word that's used for a community that makes God thoroughly wanted and holds spiritual vitality in its blood like young people do. You know what that word is? remnant. Here's what a remnant is. A remnant is a group, relatively small in number, but strong in God's presence, who showcase the spiritual vitality that comes when we make God wanted. I'll tell you right now, our young people are the most spiritually healthy community in this church. I'll stand behind that all the way, and I'm guessing it's probably true in most churches. There's a spiritual vitality that the Lord wills for youth. Something about youth and youthfulness. The Lord seems to disproportionately bless them with spiritual health and vitality because they make God thoroughly wanted. They have not yet had their zeal tempered by the world. They are a group relatively small but strong in presence. That's what Gen Z is. And it's who God works through. And God has this funny habit of taking faithful remnants and using them to bless the entire church and the entire community. He does it all the time. Let me show you what I mean. Numbers 14. God has just taken Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he's bringing them to the promised land where they can can flourish, they can experience God's blessing. But halfway on the way, that older generation begins to forget. They begin to forget the zeal. They begin to forget the beauty and the goodness that God used when he saved them. They they begin to forget God's faithfulness altogether. They begin to grumble, saying, Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Sassy Israel. God looks at Israel and he says, If your zeal has become tempered, the young's has not. So what does God do? He says to the older generations, you will not inherit the promised land, but I am not going to cast my people to the side. I raise up the young as a remnant to hold my covenant. You know what he says in verse, I think it's verse 33 in Numbers 14? It says, your young will become like shepherds in the wilderness. How about that? the prophets. There comes a point in Israel's history where God's revelation grows dim, where God ceases speaking through his prophets because Israel has become so wicked. Even their prophets have become bent out of shape. Instead of casting Israel aside, what does God do? He raises up Samuel. That famous little story of Samuel as a young, young boy hearing a voice in the middle of the night, him waking up thinking it's Eli, but Eli says, no, that's the Lord, listen for his voice. God raises up a young generation to rebuild Israel's prophetic ministry. Come on. The king, 1 Samuel 13, there comes a point when Israel says, we want kings, like all the other nations, because they're all doing so great. We want kings, and God says, have it. Your way? So he gives them Saul, who's not great. Saul gets prideful, becomes weird and conceited. He forgets to seek God's voice and instead seeks wisdom everywhere else, even with sorcerers. He forgets the sweetness of the voice of the Lord. His zeal runs cold. He forgets. Who does God raise up? David. Young, teenage David. When he goes to fight Goliath, Saul offers David his armor, saying, put on the stuff of the former generation, right? Put, put on the stuff that will make you look great in the eyes of us. And David says, the Lord is doing a new thing, and he has raised up a young generation for this purpose. The temple. I love this one. Second Chronicles 34. There's a young, it says, Josiah became king when he was eight years old, because his dad was so wicked he got himself assassinated wicked wicked fathers but josiah says i'm going to follow in the line of david At eight years old, he becomes king. At 16 years old, the scripture says he begins to seek God's face. At 20 years old, Josiah goes on a tour de force throughout Israel, tears down idol shrines, and purifies the kingdom. Here's the kicker. At 25 years old, he looks at the temple, which has been desecrated, filled with idols. It has forgotten God's presence. There is no zealous worship. And Josiah says, we are rebuilding this as a place where God is wanted. So he sends people in to rebuild the temple, make it a place of worship. And you know what they find in it? The book of the law. Gives you chills, right? Bring out the book, as Alistair Begg once said. This is bad news. The older generation forgot the Bible. They lost it. They brought it out, and the older generation was like, what is this thing? Josiah sees it, and he says, read it. He repents, tears his clothes And he reinstates Passover for the first time in generations. And in 2 Chronicles 35, it says, Never had there been a Passover celebration as what happened under Josiah. 25 years old. That's Gen Z. 25 years old. The exiles, Daniel 1, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, I googled how to say it. They, they, when, when Israel gets carried off into exile because they have failed to recognize God's covenant, his law, and his promises, they get carried off into exile. They go away to Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar and the wicked rulers go to Israel, and they say, you must worship our gods. You must eat our ritual food in honor of our gods. You must forget Yahweh and instead worship our gods. And most of Israel does. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who, by the way, we think were about 18 years old. 17 or 18. It'd be weird if they were older because of all the context. They say, no. We are going to eat the food the Lord commands us to. We are going to worship only Yahweh. We are going to fast. We are going to pray. Even when they are thrown to lions and in furnaces, this young generation remained a remnant. Even in exile, God is raising up young remnants. And finally, the church We see it in Acts 2. Most of the disciples were also teenagers, we think. They were not not like late 30s as I usually picture. They were like 17 and 18 years old, which makes Peter make a lot more sense when you view him as like a 16-year-old. And you're like, oh, but I still act like Peter at 30. So anyway, but the disciples are crazy young. You realize that Jesus could have gone and recruited some Pharisees? They're brilliant. They know the law. They have it memorized. The Pharisees, they are the definition of an older generation who knows the law crazy well. Jesus gets in all kinds of tussles with them. He raises up a new young generation as a remnant to renew his entire people. In the church, it's those same exact disciples that become the rock of the church. Notice this. Whenever God seeks to renew the church, he raises up a young remnant. It's what God does. It seems to be his favorite thing to do. Mark Sayers says it this way. A constant dynamic in the history of the church and in Scripture is the way in which the larger church is renewed by a smaller remnant within the church. Friends, we, we need to hear this. Great moves of renewal and reformation in the church never happen from the top down. It's never from the seat of power. It's always from a young generation up. Think of any great move of God in the church. It never comes about because of pastoral strategies, high-level thinking. It comes about because of a young generation with zeal for the Lord and a congregation who witnesses it and is transformed by it. If you want to see renewal in the church, it's going to happen because of the young. Simply will. It's the biblical thing to believe. A small remnant renews the larger church. Friends, we, we need to hear this when God renews the church. He does it so through a young remnant at the bottom, not the seat of power at the top. We need to hear that. Because it's so contrary to how we often think of church growth. When we think of the church being successful, we say, all right, let's do this. Let's find some initiative to get a bunch more people in here. Let's try to invite a bunch of more people into the church. Let's find a new ministry strategy. Maybe we'll do a sermon series on it. We'll put a new course in there. We'll, we'll do a big push for this initiative. We'll do so much stuff. That's never how God works to grow a church. We, we don't see any example of that in Scripture what we see examples of is a young generation simply allowed to be a young generation worshiping the Lord with zeal and fervor and passion and devotion and conviction. A church who takes notice is filled with discontent over their own apathy and repents. That's what we see. You want to see a great move of God? Allow this young generation to confront you for the ways your zeal has grown cold. Allow God to confront you. So what is youth for? Youth is for renewal. That's what youth is for. Youth is for renewal. How God, that's what we see cover to cover in scripture. Youth is always for renewal. What is the role that Gen Z plays in the church? Renewal. What is the role that the young play in the kingdom? Renewal. The young are God's best foot forward when it comes to renewing his beloved community. It's God's like ace strategy. Whenever he breathes new life into a community, whenever you see an explosion of worship, an explosion of zeal, more salvations, more baptisms, it's usually because of the young. Almost always because of the young. I want to end with two words. Um, One for the young, one for the not so young. Um, Also called adults sometimes. Um, To the young, youth is for renewal. Don't use it for less. Youth is for renewal. Don't use it for less. Make God thoroughly wanted. You do this well. Further up, further in. Build a cathedral from your schedule, an altar from your passion, a church from your time, and see if God won't inhabit it. (laughs) Not suggesting that you play games with God, but make your life a place where he is thoroughly wanted and dare him to show up. <laughs> Doesn't seem like an invitation he would refuse. Make your, life thorough- make, a- make your life a place where God is so wanted. He's wanted in every corner, in every space, in your schedule. Make your life a place where God is wanted. He will show up. God comes where he's wanted. Make God thoroughly want it in your worship, your prayer, and your repentance. Young people, college students as well, if you do nothing in your middle school, high school, and college years but worship, pray, repent of your sins, and invest in community, you will be a generation that reshapes the church, and we desperately need it. If you are simply faithful and nothing else, revival, let's use that scary word, you want to see a revival? Revival is renewal on a big scale when a generation puts on spiritual vitality in such a compelling showcase that the rest of the church rekindles their faithfulness to God. All that's required is faithful. All that God requires of you is faithfulness. Pray, read your Bible, confess your sins, be stubbornly loyal to one another. It'll work. That's for the young. For the adults, two things. I know I said it was a word, but the a two-part word, trapped you. Parents, speak renewal over your kids. Do you speak renewal over them? Youth is for renewal. That's not what culture says it's for. You know what culture says youth is for? Consumerism and individualism. Try everything, consume everything, explore every possible avenue. Not just in terms of what do you want to do for your career, but explore everything. You know one of the most common things I hear students say their parents said? Like, yeah, I liked youth group too when I was younger. It was really fun, but make sure you try a lot of different stuff. Right? Yeah, faith is really great, but make sure you try a lot of things. No one gets worried when you go to sports practice six days a week, have a personal trainer, and have no free time. We call that commitment. When you show up to church in your community, you make that your priority. We go, I'm worried about you. It's kind of weird. Why is that thing more important than this thing? It's not. Parents, speak renewal over your kids. Consumerism and individualism is in the water we swim in. We live in a culture that says experience everything, do everything, fill your appetite, use the freedom you have in your youth to experience everything your flesh wants, and then make good decisions in college about how to find the most happiness in your life with all of that data from all your mistakes in high school. Not good news. Preach renewal instead. You want to push back against consumerism and individualism? People become what you speak over them. Parents, speak renewal over your kids. Remind them you are a remnant generation. The only thing that matters is your faithfulness. The only thing that matters. Parents, you will be the prophetic voice in your kids' lives when it comes to reminding them they are a faithful remnant made for renewal. If you don't do it, the world will preach its gospel. Don't give away your prophetic voice over your own kids. Not worth it. um, Hell, you clap now. Uh, (laughs) Second thing is adults, you need to be around young people or your faith will suffer. You need to be around young people. You need to be around young people. The church is big and beautiful. It's also forgetful. At one point years ago, he said, it's like we're spiritual amnesiacs. We forget the love that brought us here in the first place. Do you remember the love that brought you to follow Jesus in the first place? Do you remember the zeal? If you were born and raised in the church, do you remember the zeal of your youth? I'm sure it shaped your faith. Remember your youth pastor? Do you remember the zeal of your youth and how it fueled you? easy to forget. It's easy to settle into this malaise where we just kind of go day by day. We look at young people who are fervor, who have all this fervor and zeal for the Lord, and we say, oh, you'll get over it. Be like us, all cynical. You need to be around young people because they remind you what you signed up for when it comes to following Jesus. That's why you need to be around young people. It's the best preaching of the gospel you will find in any church. It far outweighs the pulpit. Get around young people. You need their zeal. You need their fervor for worship. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, um, high schoolers, we, we, we join for worship every week in the sanctuary, and when we started doing that, one of the most common things I heard from high schoolers, and it means all the love in my heart, is they say, why does the sanctuary feel so different when they worship? Why are their arms crossed? Why does no one sing? Why is there no zeal? Why is there no life to this? Why is there a sense that we kind of just want it all to be over? (laughs) I'll tell you right now, young people aren't leaving the church because they don't find Jesus compelling. Young people are leaving the church because they don't buy what the church is selling when it comes to passion. They see the lukewarm worship of the church, and they say, you don't believe your own thing, do you? That's why they leave. We need to repent of that. The reason we change that, by the way, is not just getting a bunch of young people into the room and saying, hey, be zealous, worship, fix it. No, no, no! You go to their space. You wish you you witness their renewal, their worship in their space. You will become transformed and wholly discontent with lukewarmness and mediocrity. You will come back here, and that's when we will see renewal in worship and devotion at VCC. You step into a youth space where fiery worship at God's altar is happening, renewal, zeal, passion, confession, repentance, stubborn loyalty across the board. You try to leave unchanged. Try it. And I'm going to say this if you are in a season of life where you could serve in student ministry, or children's, or disability, but I'm biased, so I'm going to take my spot, you need to be serving. Your faith will suffer if you do not. There is good fruit you will miss if you do not serve with young people and you are able to. We have always had a problem with leaders in student ministry. Like not the ones we have. We love the ones we have. Um, Lance is kind of problematic. But besides that, (laughs) uh, we're always looking for leaders. And I'm so tired of begging people to serve in student ministry. I'm so tired of it, guys. (laughs) You should want to do this. This is where the life of the church beats the loudest. Don't miss it. Especially, I'm going to say this, if you're a young married person without kids, the greatest need we have in student ministry is for young married women without kids. We have tragically few, and it will restrict the fruit of student ministry if we can't fix that. If you are young, have lots of free time, married or unmarried, whatever, and you're not serving with children or students, you are missing out. There is a burning fire on the altar of the Lord and you, you're too far away to feel the heat. Come in, experience, get changed by it all. I'll end with this. Um, like I said earlier, um, I've kind of been ruined for hopelessness. <laughs> I've seen way too much. I've seen way too much worship. I've seen way too much of what Gen Z does. I've seen way too much healing, I've seen way too much transformation, I've seen way too much zeal. I'm really bad at hopelessness now. Are you? Have you seen too much? Or have you not seen enough? Is your zeal on the fritz? Has your apathy grown bigger? Are you cynical? Have you forgotten what you signed up for? Don't... Don't live a happy little religious life where you're quietly apathetic, you've forgotten the zeal of your youth, and you haven't seen too much. (laughs) Come and see too much. Come enter spaces of fervent worship, zeal with young people. You will have seen far too much to let cynicism win in how you view the church and God's kingdom. Get close to the flame. What we're going to do is we're going to switch gears pretty abruptly. Um, Instead of just continuing to talk about Gen Z, uh, we're gonna let Gen Z talk. And so, um, I'm gonna invite up my friends, Sophia and Fiona. Um, Fiona is our, yeah, let's just do that, yeah. (laughs) That was fun. Um, Fiona is our student ministry intern, so, associate, sorry. (laughs) That's how you find out you're demoted at this church. <laughs> <laughs> Never, we'd die without Fiona. Um, and Sophia is one of our seniors and our intern. Um, and they're going to have a conversation about faith in Gen Z. And so with that, and then uh, Josh and Ever are going to move the pulpit. They've been training all morning for this.
1: This is a big, big moment for them. Seal. Great job, you guys. Yeah, yeah. Good job, guys. So uh, like Jake said, my name is Fiona. I'm the Student Ministry Associate uh, here at VCC.
2: And I'm Sophia, I'm the student ministry intern and a high school senior.
1: Yes, Um, and we both have the great pleasure after a message like that to say that we are Gen Zers and we um, are excited to talk to you about what life is like and some of Sophia's experiences here in her faith community. So Sophia, when you reflect on your faith community at Anchored, why is it so important for you to prioritize that time?
2: Yeah. So, um, being a part of anchored and refuge, all the student ministry is has really made a big difference in my life. Uh, the biggest thing I've seen is just the growth of the communities and how they've changed with time. Uh, the best way for us to kind of summarize our community and our relationships is stubborn loyalty. So stubborn loyalty is a phrase we use to, like I said, describe our community and our relationships. When you first, here, stubborn loyalty. It's kind of funny because stubborn is like, oh, I'm not going to change. I'm unreasonable, right? And loyalty, people in the world, they say they're loyal to a fault or too loyal. But we take that and we spin it because kind of like Jake talked about, um, high schoolers, we're not here to spread out our our loyalties. We're not going to be stubborn to everything. We're not going to do everything the world can provide. We're choosing to be stubbornly loyal to this community and to our faith and to loving each other.
1: I love that. Choosing to be stubbornly loyal in this community. That's, that's really impactful. And when we sort of introduced this idea of stubborn loyalty, it was wholeheartedly received by our students. Uh, there was no questions asked. Uh, they didn't say, oh, why are, why are you asking me to do that? Or that's too much. No, they they got it and they took it and they ran with it. And this just to me really speaks to the willingness of Gen Z to commit to not only each other, but to their faith and to God and to each other's faiths. And they really, really step into that role of of devotion. So not only do I have the joy of being able to work uh, with high school and middle school, but I also have the joy of leading the senior girls small group um, that Sophia is in. And uh, they're all in the front row right there, which is very sweet. Uh, They're incredible. And uh, we uh, have such a blast on Wednesday nights diving into the Word together. And we have this saying uh, that I just started saying one day, uh, if not here, then where? Sophia, could you explain to us kind of what this means and how it's impacted you?
2: Yeah, so a big part of growth in our community and especially from my experience in our small group is us becoming more vulnerable. Um, And the phrase, if not here, then where, really encourages that because as as high schoolers and as people in general, we have choices, right? We can choose where we wanna go, who we wanna be vulnerable to, Be vulnerable to what our outlets are going to be and choosing to make this your place this is if not here then where because this is the place we should all be choosing and when this is where we choose to be vulnerable this is where we commit ourselves to that's when we see that growth in community and that's where our zeal comes from
1: Mm, i love that our zeal comes from being vulnerable being in community that's that's a really great word um, part of what we do at Anchored on top of stubborn loyalty is we have this phrase called faithing. And it's really taken hold and it's it's our way of making faith something that we continue to do as a verb. And uh, we continue to walk forward in faith together. And part of that, like Sophia mentioned, is being vulnerable. It's being honest. Specifically about the ways that you're in progress still. Um, so Sophia would you mind telling us how you've seen this idea of being in progress at work at Anchored?
2: Yeah. So one thing that has made a huge impact is this idea that we're all equal, right? Mm -hmm. Because when we're all choosing to do faith, it's not you have it, you lose it. Oh, you're doubting, Oh, you're questioning, that means you don't have faith. It's we're all questioning, we're all doubting, and we're still all faithing. Mm -hmm. It's something that we are choosing to do no matter what our circumstances, and that puts us all at an equal level. Everyone is welcome when you're choosing to do faith. It puts us all in, in a new space and at an equal level. It's not like a linear progression. You start, and you're not on the perfect path. It's We're just all choosing to be here.
1: In case you missed it, she said, when we all choose to do faith, everybody is welcome that's that's an incredible way to describe um, the community that that we're part of and part of this community and being um, vulnerable is this bold honesty that we really really stress um, at anchored and in refuge um, to be honest with each other to be vulnerable Um, so sophia in a moment of bold honesty Um, would you mind talking about the ways that um, you see that you are currently in progress?
2: Yeah, so for me, um, learning to be vulnerable about being in progress has made a huge impact in my faith life. So one way I'm currently in progress is, I like to say as the battle for people to get it. Um, Faith is something that is so important in my life and hugely shapes how I view the world but it's easy for me to downplay it. Um, I just think people won't understand or there'll be judgment if I act the way that, (laughs) about how much I believe in God and how important that is in my life. So that's a huge way that I'm in progress is just learning to own my faith in every aspect of my life and being vulnerable about that has been able to help me a lot.
1: That's awesome, thank you for sharing. That that really takes a bold moment to be able to talk about that. So thank you. Um, Part of faithing and learning to do faith together um, at Anchored and in Refuge has been in the way that we worship. And we've kind of taken a new direction with our worship culture and the way that we pray and the way that we devote ourselves to the Lord. Um, So Sophia, could you tell us a little bit about how um, you've seen that change at Anchored and what that looks like?
2: Yeah, so... Jake kind of talked a lot about this, but it's the simplicity of it. It's not we're putting on a show, we're flashing lights, we're trying to get everyone to be on their knees crying. It's we are here, we are wanting God to be here, and we are praising God. Mm -hmm. And something about that is he just comes where he's wanted. And it's real and it's authentic. And when you're in that situation, when we're all there praising God, it feels like it's what we should be doing. It, it's the zeal that inspires us to prioritize it, yes. and it's it's like a circle. It's you pray you pray and you worship the right way, and it inspires zeal, and then it becomes a priority in your life, and it just keeps going round and round. Oh. <laughs> I love that it keeps going round and round. It's it's a circle,
1: like you said. It's not linear, um, earlier. It's. You you worship, and that's your prayer, and you pray, and that's your way of worshiping, and I think that just so beautifully describes the way that um, you guys, our high school students, are are devoting yourselves to the Lord. I've never been part of a community that so plainly makes God wanted, and you guys make God wanted. Um, so. I just want to thank you guys for the way that you've formed me in my relationship with the Lord um, and everything that you inspire in the people that get to know you guys. So um, with that being said, thank you guys for um, listening to us and giving us a space to tell you guys a little bit more about our experiences um, through Anchored um, and our family ministries at VCC. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we will move on. Lord, I just thank you for Sophia And all that she brings to our anchored community. I thank you for her commitment and devotion to you, Lord. Uh, I pray that she continues to find real and uh, authentic hope uh, in knowing you. Would our community continue to be stubbornly loyal to uh, each other, uh, inspiring, faithing, and devotion to you, Lord? Um, God, make... Our kids and our student spaces at VCC, places where they can be in progress and they can learn to know you, Lord, um, where they can learn to love you together. Lord, would these places make you wanted? Uh, would you uh, know that you are wanted uh, in these spaces and with our students? Um, I just thank you for the ways that you provide for us uh, here at VCC and just continue to guide us in your ways.
0: I pray this in your name. Amen.